1: Welcome back to Truck Tech, everyone. We're happy to see you here today. We, uh, you know, it's funny. We're getting to the point now in this show where we're ready to have some of our guests back. We've been out this long enough that some people in the industry are worth uh, second uh, second helpings. And we're going to see that today when we visit with Mike Roth, who is the Executive Director of the North American Council for Freight Efficiency, and also Ken Marco, who is the Sustainability Senior Manager At U.S. Foods, Uh, both of them, of course, Mike is the leader of this, are involved in the Run on Less Electric Depot program. This is a program that is looking at sort of a a truth and truth and dare, if you will, for electric trucks, how they're charged, and and you know what we can learn and what we need to learn about it. We'll be talking with both of them shortly. The first uh, few headlines for you. You know, the Proterra bankruptcy after hours on Monday was a big shock to a lot of people. On Tuesday, most of the shareholders uh, headed for the exits, 88% uh, drop in the stock price. This afternoon, it's around 15 cents. Um, Basically, we're learning now from filings that Proterra put in with the SEC that uh, the company is going to not even fight its delisting from NASDAQ uh, on the 17th of August. So I guess the advice here is if you still have any Proterra shares, you may want to just take your loss and get out now. Uh, Proterra, for its part, hopes to stay in business and continue to Supply customers uh, and pay them on a going forward basis, but uh, what's going to happen there, of course, is that uh, you know all the debt that they have uh, stacked up right now will sort of be frozen in, in the bankruptcy process. Uh, a couple of those customers, of course, are, are uh, Diamond Truck North America, um, which it's printed out custom chassis you see in the screen here, uses the, um, the Proterra batteries uh, for the MT50E, as well as uh, over at Nikola, the new fuel cell truck. Um, it uses Proterra battery packs as well, so they're both, uh, you know, expecting to continue to get product from Proterra, but uh, you know that remains to be seen. Hopefully, that'll work out for Nikola. It's hugely important because they've already been through their own trouble with batteries, uh, having acquired and now liquidating Romeo Power, another battery maker uh, that just ran into, you know, hard times. So with those two in in, in the uh, in the bag, we also want to talk for a moment about Hylion. Um, You know, Proterra, Workhorse, and, and Hyzon all uh, hinted at pretty desperate actions to stay in business this week. And then we get Hylion today, which reported that its cash cushion is actually in pretty good shape. They ended uh, the second quarter with $354 million of, of total uh, available uh, funds, both long-term, short-term, and, and uh, investments in cash. Um it doesn't mean that things are going great there because you know they've had some delays, they've had price increases, supply disruptions, and a number of other things, but they're still uh, planning to put out 30 of their hyper truck ERX models this year to customers. Um, they have already gotten their NHTSA sign off for federal motor vehicle safety standards. They're waiting for CARB out in California and for the EPA to give them the all clear to, to go ahead and, and sell trucks. Uh, interesting on the call today, though that that, uh, that uh, CFO um, uh, uh, said, you know, we don't have to go fast. Um, it's not it for the best of us to go fast, and so we'll uh, we'll take this as it comes. And one of the key things for Harley, will be to see how the, uh, the long term testing with customers goes here this quarter or next quarter to see just what kind of orders that actually generates. Okay, so let's welcome today's guest. Mike Roth gets around to industry events as much as anyone. I don't think I've been to one where I haven't seen Mike, and he's familiar to most of this audience. Um, Mike has led the uh, North American Council for Fuel, Freight Efficiency, excuse me, in collaboration with RMI, formerly the Rocky Mountain Institute, um, and helping helping fleets save money and the environment, helping the environment through weight savings, powertrain changes, and specifically the Run on Less program. Ken Marco leads sustainability efforts at U.S. Foods, which is participating in the latest run on
0: less electric depot program.
1: Gentlemen, thank you for
0: being here today. Yeah, it's good to be here and good to see you again, Alan. Um, and I'm happy <laughs> to bring Ken along. It's going to be a lot of fun. Ken, Thank you.
2: Yeah. Hey, All right, Great to see you. Great to be here as well. It's always, always a yeah, pleasure it's, to do that. a barrel, like...
1: Well, Mike, you know a lot about panels. We know that. I've, I've been to more than one or two of yours. Um, but this is your event, Mike. I mean, this is, uh, you know, we get into Alessa uh, Electric Depot, and we've written a little bit about it at Freightways, but I think this is more of an opportunity to let the audience uh, hear a little bit more about it. And when you were on with us in March, um, we touched on the subject a little bit, but I wondered if you would just kind of take us through this latest program, what you're trying to accomplish, and what you've seen so far.
0: Yeah. So, you know, electric trucks. Wow. Uh, Five, six years ago, I'd have thought it would never happen. And here we are in the middle of it. Um, And in 2021 with the run, we uh, we focused on a truck, one truck at each site. Uh, We're trying to, you know, understand, can these electric trucks do their job? And then we had 13 uh, trucks in 2021 and run on less electric. And we found that they can. Um, But, you know, the issue then becomes, all right, well, maybe, you know, myself, I can make one great hamburger, but can I go? Make uh, open a hamburger restaurant, probably not. So that's a whole different game when you start to scale these electric trucks. So it came up with the idea of run on less electric depot. And what this is, we we sought to find um, places, locations, you know, warehouses, manufacturing plants, and so forth that um, are scaling electric trucks now here in 2023. So uh, we found 10. Um, U.S. Foods is one of them. We have Schneider and Pepsi and ski and others, and they are all, uh, participating. We went out and visited all 10 during, uh, from June 5th to July 16th, interviewed 122 people at these 10 sites and learned a ton about what it takes to go from, you know, basically zero or one electric truck to, you know, Schneider's got 92 E-Cascadia's that'll be running in September when we actually go do the measurements. Um, Ken has 30. So, um, this is not for the week of heart. Uh, there's challenges here, um, but um, uh, they're making it happen. And in many cases, they're they're really enjoying the trucks. Drivers love them. Maintenance people are starting to appreciate uh, the simplicity of the trucks compared to, um, you know, some of the diesel powertrains. And, um, you know, here we go. Um, the infrastructure is basically be, be being put on site at the depot with these 10. So they're not talking really about, um, you know, public charging or other things. Uh, but it's fun to see what's really going on and um we have four videos um that are up of the 10 uh the fourth one will be up tomorrow morning and um it's exciting uh here we go uh we're learning and telling the the rest of the industry what we're finding
1: when you went into it Mike what was the what what was sort of the the rubric that you were working from mean, you know when you do your final report or whatever what is it that you're looking to really show people
0: yeah, well, first of all, electric trucks aren't for every heavy-duty, medium-duty application right now. So what we're what we're confirming is that it's for uh, smaller vehicles moving up into um, you know terminal tractors that run around yards, and into what we call short and medium regional haul, return to base, usually day cabs. And that's where it really gets interesting. That two to three hundred, four hundred mile uh, range. Uh, we have the Tesla Semi at PepsiCo in the run, so we'll be tracking it the video is already up. Pepsi's using that semi for up to 450 miles. So, uh, you know, but, uh, a lot of the available technologies, available trucks are in that 200 to 250 mile range. And, you know, uh, how a fleet can utilize that when, and and take advantage of the electric truck can be challenging. So one of the things we were really trying to figure out and what we're seeing really interesting results are, is the fleets are figuring out how to operate maybe a 230-mile E-Cascadia. Let me just say Schneider is a great example. They have 92 E-Cascadias that they're doing uh, railroad intermodal support. And instead of the the driver being out all day making their runs and coming back with their diesel truck to hand off to a second driver overnight, they're using the 92 trucks. And, you know, it may mean that uh, the driver returns in the middle of the day, maybe five hours into their hours of service. Uh, and they swap trucks. They get in a truck with uh, that has fully charged, they drop off their truck that's less charged and they go about more of their day. So my, my point there is we were and it's a great question you ask we we were trying to find out you know were these trucks limited by their range on a single battery charge in a driver's hours of service or not. Um, and some of the depots we're doing we're really seeing some creativity there and how they manage the routes.
1: Yeah, well, I know uh, when we've talked to Daimler and you used that 230-mile uh, range, uh, we've talked with Daimler about that, and Volvo with its six batteries on it can get 275 or 285 thereabouts. Um, but you know, you have to work with what you have. Now, Ken, in your shop, I, th- I think I noticed, and we're going to see a video here in a moment, I think I noticed that you have e Cascades as well. Is that correct?
2: That's correct. Yeah, we have 30 yeah. uh, red-line Cascades cascadias on, on our site now, and uh, we're operating... Fifteen of those on a daily basis right now, and working to uh, add additional uh, trucks to uh, to the operation as well here in the near future. What uh,
1: what kind of use cases are are you uh, are you involved with there?
2: Yeah, for us, uh, a good majority of our routes are daily delivery routes. We're delivering to the market, typically less than two hundred miles per day, and we might have you know anywhere from eight to twelve stops per day, delivering product to uh, restaurants and other uh, food. Uh, providers, um, but uh, what we found is that the electric vehicles are a great fit for our application because they've got the range capability that uh, meets the, the the route distances that we're operating on, and uh, the drivers really like the vehicles. I, I've gone on ride-alongs with drivers and uh, had many conversations with drivers, and it's been great feedback. They really like how quiet they are and the, the power that they have and the fact that they get, get them home each day.
1: Yeah, I remember riding with one of the uh, folks from NFI early on because they were an early tester, as you know, uh, with the uh, e And I remember, you know, riding down, not quite to the port in Long Beach, but, uh, you know, just the whole idea. He said, yeah, I get home and I don't smell of diesel when I get home at night, <laughs> and that's so appreciated at home. Um, let me ask you, Ken, you know, the, the whole idea of the electric truck, what is it that you want to get out of, run a less electric depot, and what have you learned so far?
2: Yeah, I think the, the Run Unless event is a great event. You know, it's, it's it demonstrates the ability of fleets that are uh, introducing these technologies into their operations and doing it successfully and uh, providing an example for other fleets that want to consider uh, these technologies for their fleets as well. So I think the things that I'm learning is that uh, it is capable to put these trucks into the operation, I think fleets need to understand what their operation duty cycle requirements are to make sure that that's a good match. But um, it's something that uh, they shouldn't be afraid of. These these trucks have the capability to support a lot of different applications. As Mike said, it's not for everybody, but you just have to understand what your duty cycle is. And I think we're demonstrating it. Now, one unique thing about us, is you can see on the video there, those are temporary charging stations. So that's one unique feature that we've learned some uh, valuable lessons here is that it just takes a long time for the infrastructure sometimes when you're working with a utility company and trying to go through the permitting process. And all there's a time factor that affects it. So I was able to go out and obtain five portable or uh, temporary charging stations to be able to support these vehicles before our permanent infrastructure is in place. We, we haven't installed the permanent infrastructure just yet. So we've got five portable chargers. And we're operating 15 of these uh, vehicles. So we've started to learn a lot more about the data uh, that's available with these vehicles uh, regarding the charging and all. And also learning some valuable lessons on how to charge multiple trucks uh, each day as well to be able to make sure we can operate them uh, and have them ready to go out each day. Well, and I I noticed the charge point chargers
1: there in the video. Um, You know, and it's interesting because, you know, mobile charging, portable charging, a lot of these things, these stopgap measures, if you will. Um, are, are pretty necessary uh, right now. let me ask you both though we're getting more and more sort of chafing if you will about the lack of infrastructure being available. We already have a few people that probably question do we really need to do electric trucks? of course, if you want to operate in California you know the answer to that but but I guess I guess the, the question is are we looking now at public charging and like you mentioned you kind of dismissively a little bit ago are we looking at public charging being a big piece
0: of this or is it all going to be yeah. behind the fence? So there's going to be uh, no. It's not going to be all behind a fence. There's going to be multiple ways to charge these trucks. And the the great thing about this is this this is going to happen in phases. Most things in life do, right? So we're going to have um, we believe, and we're going to see. And I think our depot. We've named it Run Less Electric Depot because depot charging is what's first. So companies like you know that are in our run. Um, their, che- their their trucks come back to base every night, and so that enables them to put the infrastructure on site, and that's really key. And uh, you know, one of the things that we're learning is it doesn't have to be a charger for every truck. Um, you can put a charger at every parking spot, pull the truck in, slow charge it, and um, that's a cheaper way to to accomplish this. Um, but also, you can have you know maybe four trucks for every charger. I mean, Ken's just talking here; he's right now doing three trucks per charger. So, you know, in his first 15, now that requires you to move some trucks around from time to time, maybe, or maybe the duty cycles are such that they're sequenced where they come back to the depot and can do that. Um, But uh, that'll definitely be first depot charging. And then what we're seeing is what we call opportunity charging. And that's, um, you know, where you're out on your day and maybe you can get a customer location to put a charger in. So you're constantly going to one site and you can uh, go there. Um, some people are doing opportunity charging back at their base. Like I mentioned with Schneider a few minutes ago, or, uh, you know, there's people like the Watt EVs and others, Watt EVs in our, in our run as a, as a, as a depot, even though they're a little bit different and kind of a truck stop charging as a service location, but we'll see these very focused opportunity charging places that might not be publicly available. Might only be for a few, um, fleets to use. Uh, as, a, as a sort of the second area. And then we'll get these like high corridor, uh, call it public charging. Maybe it'll be, um, you know, club charging of some kind of nature where you've got to have a subscription or something. Uh, and so this will happen in phases so we can learn one to the next. We can figure out how do we take advantage of 150, 350, uh, megawatt charging, uh, over time at depots while we're learning what we are with public charging. Yes, we'll need public charging. Not right now.
1: Well, tons of uh, money. I'm sorry, Ken, go ahead.
2: Yeah, no, I I would agree with what Mike said. You know, I think a lot of fleets are going to be interested in behind the fence just because it's a little bit more convenient to be able to manage the drivers and control the costs. You understand um, what kind of a capital investment as well as what the operational costs are. Um, But there are a lot of operations as well where, you know, I'll give you a U.S. Foods example where we have some shuttle yards out there where we may have anywhere from four trucks up to 10 trucks or more. Um, a lot of those are going to be a lot more difficult to add charging stations. And so I think having uh, shared or public type charging is going to be a good opportunity. I think the other thing I would say is, um, you know, with these temporary chargers, what was great for us was that it allowed us to get these trucks into service before we had the permanent charging. You know, we didn't have to wait and uh, park the trucks at the fence because we were able to take delivery of them sooner than the infrastructure was ready. But, and it gave us the ability to start training our drivers and get it and going through the change management process at the site and all as well. So. Yeah.
1: You know, one of the things that, that you know, I brought up the public charging is because there's so much money out there, you know, uh, VC money and others that are kind of chasing the infrastructure piece, um, you know, whether it's for mobility or Watt EV or whoever you want to name, there's a lot of them. Uh, terawatt uh, comes to mind. There's a bunch of them that are looking to build things where I don't know if it'd be a subscription based mic like you suggested, but it it's certainly something where, you know, we're kind of for everybody. And uh wondering yeah. about that, is that contemplated
0: in what you're doing? Yeah. I mean, I just said I, I just said uh not now. I I really, you know <laughs> I'm saying not now from the standpoint is that, you know, to, to, to match Ken's point around, you know, behind the fence, depot charging, let's just get that phase going and that out of the way. We will definitely need public charging. You know, batteries are heavy, range is, range is limited, um, and so we will need, um, you know, fairly fast uh, public charging for, for these trucks at some point. And so those that are working on it, both, um, you know, in the labs, out in prototypes, and even building some of these locations, the Watt EV location that will be in the run, you know, they have a megawatt charger there now. Um, you know, waiting for trucks to be able to handle megawatt charging. You know, we, we can't charge these trucks that fast yet, but they're uh, they're ready to go. So I do think there's people on the very leading edge of public charging, and that's important. Um, and, um, you know, as the trucks start to be used and we figure out how to use them, right now, these depots are, are starting with, you know, maybe 20% of their trucks and only the routes closest to their base. But as they go out, they're going to need that kind of charging in in uh, to be able to support the operations, not just at their site, but out in the out in the wild, out in the public.
1: Yeah, you know, you mentioned uh, Tesla uh, being in the in the uh, run on less uh, electric depot program, and you also mentioned four hundred to one hundred and fifty miles. Uh, there aren't very many trucks right now that can do that. None actually, um, except for the Tesla, which I think is at seven hundred and fifty uh, a kilowatt uh, charging rate at, at this point. Um, So it could presumably use a megawatt charger or something uh, close to it. Um, How quickly, from what you're finding now, uh, and what is the need for getting, you know, higher power charging out there? You know, we're working with what we've got today, but.
0: Yeah, I mean, so uh, the semis are used in Sacramento where they have what they call transport. So these are longer runs from, uh, you know, bottling companies to distribution centers in in the Pepsi beverages network. So they will leave and do a couple hundred miles, drop something, do another couple hundred miles uh, or maybe 50 miles, drop some more, come back to base. So they are doing long distances. And and at Sacramento, they are uh, in many days slip seating those trucks. So those trucks come back to the base and they hook up to the Tesla chargers and they get that 750 kilowatt for maybe 45 minutes. And they were able to you know fill up a lot of that big battery on the Tesla semi in you know 45 minutes to be able to get back out on the road and do another 400 mile run. So um, you know, yes, the uh the semis are only only delivered a few. They're only at um PepsiCo locations, one Frito-Lay and one um beverages. Uh and they're uh, they're testing them and making them work. I mean they are definitely uh, a longer range uh vehicle that um you know makes us all think that it can be done and that we're just getting started. You know this 200, 230, 250 mile range heavy tractor, I don't think we're going to stop there. Um, and if you fast charge them, uh, you know, you can get actually more miles in a driver's hours of service than you can on the single charge.
1: Right. Well, you know, the the the, the 400 miles, let's just call it 400, uh, that the Tesla can do right now sort of gets us into the question that I have to ask you, even though I know it's not part of this year's uh, event, and that is uh, hydrogen. Is it finally time for hydrogen to make inroads into trucking. I mean, we're getting very close to having the Nikola trucks out. We've got the first of the, uh, Hyundai Exxon's coming into Oakland, I believe, uh, pretty quick here. Um, is it hydrogen's time or, or is that still sort of a, man, I don't buy it.
0: No, I, I think it, I think, um, in our look at it, uh, the battery truck as wonderful it is, and it works for many fleets like Ken's and so forth. It, it's going to be difficult to get into that, you know, high weight, high distance, trucking. So we do think hydrogen fuel cells will be an answer for some of those particular duty cycles. Um, especially when you're into team drivers or into slip seating, like we were talking about, having said that it'll be a matter of how much, right? So is that 5%, 20%, 30%. And so how far the battery electric truck can be, can go with weight sizes, fast charging, uh, durability and so forth. Because a hydrogen fuel cell truck um, with a lot of complexity that's not in a battery truck i mean basically you're extending the battery range now you can have a much smaller battery pack but um you know you have a hydrogen fuel cell on you've got tanks you've got a lot of uh cooling that you don't have in battery electric so the trucks get more complex uh the a lot of discussion about green hydrogen versus other um you know more carbon intensive hydrogen so a lot there but we do think it's part of the answer we just don't know how much it I don't know, Ken might be able to chime yeah. in a little too all over this.
1: Yeah, I want to ask you, Ken, uh, you know, I can't imagine on, on, you know, distribution like you're doing now that, that hydrogen is much of a factor, but what do you think? I mean, do you see a day when that becomes part of
2: the mix for you? I, I do, um, you know, but I, I've I'm, a good majority of our routes are going to be 200 miles or less, so I I can approach those with battery electric and meet, meet the, uh, the functional need, but there are also some routes that are longer than that. We've got some some areas of the country where we have we we average over 300 miles a day with our trucks and so in those cases we're going to have to consider other technologies you know and and, and right now there is no silver bullet that you know battery electric just can't meet the needs for all of the different uh, applications so we've got to look at the other technologies and i think hydrogen could have a place in it uh in in the fleet in the future for some of the longer routes i think for the shorter routes battery electric is uh, is going to support us a hundred percent. it's interesting. Oh, I'm sorry I interrupted you there. can finish up. What's that?
1: Oh, yeah, no, I... I it was, it was it. interesting. Yeah. Did. Go ahead. I was just going to say this one, you know, Hylian, which is doing this the sort of the hybrid approach with the natural gas, and Electric said that it's going to go to a day cap. Uh, they've got uh, an issue with certifying the Cummins X12N after 2024. So they're going to go to a day cap and take the X-15. Um, some of these other technologies, I just throw them out there. I mean, I don't know that that's a, a good solution or not. Um Guys, thank you so much for being here. It's been terrific. Uh, Mike, I wish you the best as you get this down the road, uh, finish up in September, I guess. And Ken, thanks so much for being here.
2: It was a pleasure. Thanks, Alan. Great. But, yeah. All right,
1: guys, uh, next week, folks, next week, special guest, really, and I think so anyway, I've known him for for decades, really, but Steve Dursky, the third CEO at Nikola in the last year, uh, will be our guest. Um, Steve goes uh, way back in the industry. He was, of course, instrumental in the, in the uh, uh, bringing public of Nikola back in 2020. He's been through all of the bumps that have uh, occurred, and there have been many. Um, but now uh, he's stepping in. The board decided when uh, Michael Lohscheller had a family issue back in Germany and and resigned that uh, the board said, well, you know what? You're our succession plan, Steve. So go get him. We're excited to catch up with him next week and and hear his plans as sort of the operations guy now um, as they get ready to bring about the fuel cells. And folks, we've moved the format or the, the platform for Truck Tech over at all of the FreightWave shows. Over to YouTube. You can find us there. In fact, the whole playlist by hitting uh, shows and then going to truck tech and you can get a full playlist of all of our episodes. So we look forward to having you do that. And we hope to see you here next week. Thanks for joining.